section ten of the countess of lounds square and other stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kate Fallis. The Countess of Lowndes Square and Other Stories by E. F. Benson. Spook Stories, Chapter 3 The Ape. Hugh Marsham had spent the day, as a good tourist should, in visiting the temples and the tombs of the kings across the river and the magic of the hour of sunset flamed over earth and heaven as he crossed the nile again to luxor in his felucca it seemed as if the whole world had been suddenly transferred into the heart of an opal and burned with a myriad fiery colours the river itself was of the green that beech trees are clad in at springtime the columns of the temple that stood close to its banks glowed as if lit from within by the flame of some perpetual evening sacrifice the cloudless sky was dusky blue in the east the blue of turquoise overhead and melted into aquamarine above the line of desert where the sun had just sunk all along the bank which he was fast approaching under the press of the cool wind from the north were crowds of arabs padding softly home in the dust from their work and chattering as sparrows chatter among the bushes in the long english twilights even the dust that hovered and hung and was dispersed again by the wind was rainbowed it caught the hues from the river and the sky and the orange flaming temple and those who walked in it were clad in brightness here in the south no long english twilight lingered and as he walked up the dusky fragrant tunnel of mimosa that led to the hotel night thickened and in the sky a million stars leaped into being while the soft gathering darkness sponged out the glories of the flaming hour on the hotel steps the vendors of carpets and arabian hangings of incense and filigree work of suspicious turquoises and more than suspicious scarabs were already packing up their wares and probably recounting to each other in their shrill incomprehensible gabble the iniquitous bargains they had made with the gullible americans and english who so innocently purchased the wares of manchester only in his accustomed corner old abdul still squatted for he was of a class above the ordinary vendors a substantial dealer in antiques who had a shop in the village where archaeologists resorted and bought sub rosa pieces that eventually found their way into european museums he was in his shop all day but evening found him when serious business hours were over on the steps of the hotel where he sold undoubted antiquities to tourists who wanted something genuine the day had been very hot and hugh felt himself disposed to linger outside the hotel in this cool dusk and turn over the tray of scarabs which abdul hamid presented to his notice he was a wrinkled dried-up husk of a man loquacious and ingratiating in manner and welcomed hugh as an old customer see sir 
he said here are two more scroll scarabs like those you bought from me before the week you should have these they are very fine and very cheap because i do no business this year mr rankin you know him of the british museum he give me two pounds each last year for scroll scarabs not so fine and to-day i sell them at a pound and a half each take them they're yours scroll scarabs of the twelfth dynasty if mr rankin were here he pay me two pounds each and be sorry i not ask more hugh laughed you may sell them to mr rankin then he said he comes here to-morrow the old man utterly unabashed grinned and shook his head no i promised you them for pound and a half he said i am not cheap dealer they are yours pound and a half take them take them hugh resisted this unparalleled offer and turning over the contents of the tray picked out of it and examined carefully a broken fragment of blue glaze about an inch in height this represented the head and shoulders of an ape and the fracture had occurred half-way down the back so that the lower part of the trunk the forearms which apparently hung by its sides and the hind legs were missing on the back there was an inscription in hieroglyphics also broken presumably the missing piece contained the remainder of the letters it was modelled with extreme care and minuteness and the face wore an expression of grotesque malevolence what's this broken bit of a monkey asked hugh carelessly abdul looking much like a monkey himself put his eyes close to it ah that's the rarest thing in egypt he said so mr rankin he tell me if only the monkey not broken see the back there it says he of whom this is let him call on me thrice and then some son of a dog broke it if the rest was here i would not take a hundred pounds for it but now ten years have i kept half monkey and never comes half monkey to it it is yours sir for a pound it is yours half monkey nothing to me it is fool monkey only being half monkey i let it go i give it to you and you give me pound hugh marsham felt in one pocket then in another with no appearance of hurry or eagerness there's your pound he said casually abdul peered at him in the dusk it was very odd that hugh did not offer him half what he asked instead of paying up without bargaining he regretted extremely that he had not asked more but the little blue fragment was now in hugh's pocket and the sovereign glistened very pleasantly in his own palm and what was the rest of the hieroglyphic do you think hugh asked eh allah only knows the wickedness and the power of the monkeys said abdul once there were such in egypt and in the temple of mott in karnak which the english dug up you shall see a chamber with just such monkeys sitting round it four of them all carved in sandstone but on them there is no writing i have looked at them behind and before they not master monkeys perhaps the monkey promised that whoso called on him thrice if he were owner of the blue image of which gentleman has the half would be his master 
and that monkey would do his bidding who knows it is of the old wickedness of the world the old egyptian blackness hugh got up he had been out in the sun all day and felt at this moment a little intimate shiver which warned him that it was wiser to go indoors till the chill of sunset had passed i expect you've tried it on with the half-monkey haven't you he said abdul burst out into a toothless cackle of laughter yes effendi he said i have tried it a hundred times and nothing happens else i would not have sold it to you half monkey is no monkey at all i have tried to make boy with the ink mirror see something about monkeys but nothing comes except the clouds and the man who sweeps no monkey hugh nodded to him good night you old sorcerer he said pleasantly as he walked up the broad flagged passage to his room carrying the half monkey in his hand hugh felt with a disengaged thumb in his waistcoat pocket for something he had picked up that day in the valley of the tombs of the kings he had eaten his lunch there after an inspection of the carved and reeking corridors and as he sat idly smoking had reached out a lazy hand to where this thing had glittered among the pebbles now entering his room he turned up the electric light and standing under it with his back to the window that opened door fashion on to the three steps that led into the hotel garden he fitted the fragment he had found to the fragment he had just purchased they joined on each other with the most absolute accuracy not a chip was missing there was the complete ape and down its back ran the complete legend the window was open and at this moment he heard a sudden noise as of some scampering beast in the garden outside his light streamed out in an oblong on to the sandy path and laying the two pieces of the image on the table he looked out but there was nothing irregular to be seen the palm trees waved and clashed in the wind and the rose bushes stirred and scattered their fragrance only right down the middle of the sandy path that ran between the beds the ground was curiously disturbed as by some animal heavily frolicking scooping and spurning the light soil as it ran the midday train from cairo next day brought mr rankin the eminent egyptologist and student of occult lore a huge red man with a complete mastery of colloquial arabic he had but a day to spend in luxor for he was en route for Marawi, where lately some important finds had been made but hugh took occasion to show him the figure of the ape as they sat over their coffee in the garden just outside his bedroom after lunch i found the lower half yesterday outside one of the tombs of the kings he said and the top half by the utmost luck among old abdul's things he told me you said that if it was complete it would be of the greatest rarity he lied i suppose rankin gave one gasp of amazed surprise as he looked at it and read the inscription on the back marsham thought that his great red face suddenly paled good lord he said here take it and he held out the two pieces to him 
hugh laughed why in such a hurry he said because there comes a breaking point to every man's honesty and i might keep it and swear that i had given it back to you my dear fellow do you know what you've got indeed i don't i want to be told said hugh and to think that it was you who only a couple of months ago asked me what a scarab was well you've got there what all egyptologists and even more keenly than egyptologists all students of folklore and magic black and white especially black would give their eyes to have found good lord what's that hugh was sitting by his side in a deck-chair idly fitting together the two halves of the broken image he too heard what had startled rankin for it was the same noise as had startled him last night namely the scampering of some great frolicsome animal somewhere close to them as he jumped up severing his hands the noise ceased funny he said i heard that last night there's nothing it's some stray dog in the bushes do tell me what it is i've got rankin who had surged to his feet also stood listening a moment but there was nothing to be heard but the buzzing of bees in the bushes and the chiding of the remote kites overhead he sat down again well give me two minutes he said and i can tell you all i know once upon a time when this wonderful and secret land was alive and not dead oh we have killed it with our board schools and our steamers and our religion there was a whole hierarchy of gods isis osiris and the rest of whom we know a great deal but below them there was a company of semi-divinities demons if you will of whom we know practically nothing the cat was one certain dwarfish creatures were others but most potent of all were the cynocephaly the dog-faced apes they were not divine rather they were demons of hideous power but and he pointed a great hand at hugh they could be controlled men could control them men could turn them into terrific servants much as the genie and the arabian nights were controlled but to do that you had to know the secret name of the demon and had yourself to make an image of him with the secret name inscribed thereon and by that you could summon him and all the incarnate creatures of his species so much we know from certain very guarded allusions in the book of the dead and other sources for this was one of the great mysteries never openly spoken of here and there a priest in karnak or abydos or in heropolis has handed down to him one of those secret names but in nine cases out of ten the knowledge died with him for there was something dangerous and terrible about it all old abdul here for instance believes that moses had the secret names of frogs and lice and made images of them with the secret name inscribed on them and by those produced the plagues of egypt think what you could do think what he did if infinite power over frog nature were given you so that the king's chamber swarmed with frogs at your word usually as i said the secret name was but sparingly passed on but occasionally some very bold advanced spirit such as moses 
made his image and controlled he paused a moment and hugh wondered if he was in some delirious dream here they were taking coffee and cigarettes underneath the shadow of a modern hotel in the year a d nineteen twelve and this great savant was talking to him about the spell that controlled the whole frog nature in the universe the gist the moral of his discourse was already perfectly clear that's a good joke hugh said you told your story with extraordinary gravity and what you mean is that these two blue bits i hold in my hand control the whole ape nature of the world bravo rankin for a moment you and your impressiveness almost made me take it all seriously lord you do tell a story well and what's the secret name of the ape rankin turned to him with the shake of an impressive forefinger my dear boy he said you should never be disrespectful towards the things you know nothing of never say a thing is moonshine till you know what you are talking about i know at this moment exactly as much as you do about your ape image except that i can translate its inscription which i will do for you on the top half is written he of whom this is let him call on me thrice hugh interrupted that's what abdul read to me he said of course abdul knows hieroglyphics but on the lower half is what nobody but you and i know let him call on me thrice says the top half and then there speaks what you picked up in the valley of the tombs and i tahumet obey the order of the master tahumet asked hugh yes now in ten minutes i must be off to catch my train what i have told you is all that is known about this particular affair by those who have studied folklore and magic and egyptology if anything if anything happens do be kind enough to let me know if you were not so abominably rich i would offer you what you liked for that little broken statue but there's the way of the world oh it's not for sale said hugh gaily it's too interesting to sell but what am i to do next with it tahumet shall i say tahumet three times rankin leaned forward very hurriedly and laid his fat hand on the young man's knee no for heaven's sake just keep it by you he said be patient with it see what happens you might mend it perhaps put a drop of gum arabic on the break and make it whole by the way if it interests you at all my niece julia draycott arrives here this evening and will wait for me here till my return from Marawi. you met her in cairo i think certainly this piece of news interested hugh more than all the possibilities of apes and super-apes he thrust the two pieces of tahumet carelessly into his pocket by jove is she really he said that's splendid she told me she might be coming up but didn't feel at all sure must you really be off i shall come down to the station with you while rankin went to gather up such small luggage as he had brought with him hugh wandered into the hotel bureau to ask for letters and seeing there a gum bottle dabbed with gum the fractured edges of tahumet 
the two pieces joined with absolute exactitude and wrapping a piece of paper round them to keep the edges together he went out through the garden with rankin at the hotel gate was the usual crowd of donkey boys and beggars and presently they were ambling down the village street on bored white donkeys it was almost deserted at this hottest hour of the afternoon but along it there moved an arab leading a large grey ape that tramped surlily in the dust but just before they overtook it the beast looked round saw hugh and with chatterings of delight strained at his leash its owner cursed and pulled it away for hugh nearly rode over it but it paid no attention to him and fairly towed him along the road after the donkeys rankin looked at his companion that's odd he said that's one of your servants i've still a couple of minutes to spare do you mind stopping a moment he shouted something in the vernacular to the arab who ran after them with the beast still towing him on when they came close the ape stopped and bent his head to the ground in front of hugh and that's odd said rankin hugh suddenly felt rather uncomfortable nonsense he said that's just one of his tricks he's been taught it to get backsheesh for his master look there's your train coming in we must get on he threw a couple of piastres to the man and they rode on but when they got to the station glancing down the road he saw that the ape was still looking after them julia draycott's arrival that evening speedily put such antique imaginings as the lordship of apes out of hugh's head he chucked tahumet into the box where he kept his scarabs and ushapti figures and devoted himself to this heartless and exquisite girl whose mission in life appeared to be to make as miserable as possible the largest possible number of young men hugh had already been selected by her in cairo as a decent victim and now she proceeded to torture him she had no intention what ever of marrying him for poor hugh was certainly ugly with his broad heavy face and though rich he was not nearly rich enough but he had a couple of delightful arab horses and so since there was no one else on hand to experiment with she let him buy her a side-saddle and be with his horses always at her disposal she did not propose to use him for very long for she expected young lord patterson whom she did intend to marry to follow her from cairo within a week she had beat a parthian retreat from him being convinced that he would soon find cairo intolerable without her and in the meantime hugh was excellent practice besides she adored riding they sat together one afternoon on the edge of the river opposite Karnak. She had treated him like a brute beast all morning, and had watched his capability for wretchedness with the purring egoism that distinguished her. And now, as a change, she was seeing how happy she could make him. "'You are such a dear,' she said. "'I don't know how I could have endured Luxor without you.' and thanks to you it has been the loveliest week 
she looked at him from below her long lashes through which there gleamed the divinest violet smiling like a child at her friend and to-night you made some delicious plan for to-night yes it's full moon to-night said he we are going to ride out to karnak after dinner that will be heavenly and mr marsham do let us go alone there's sure to be a mob from the hotel so let's start late when they've all cleared out karnak in the moonlight just with you that completely made hugh's mind up for the last three days he had been on the lookout for a moment that should furnish the great occasion and now all unconsciously of course she indicated it to him this evening then and his heart leaped yes yes he said but why have i become mr marsham again again she looked at him now with a penitent mouth oh i was such a beast to you this morning she said that was why i didn't deserve that you should be hugh but will you be hugh again do you forgive me in spite of hugh's fixing the great occasion for this evening it might have come then so bewitching was her penitence had not the rest of their party on donkeys whom they had outpaced come streaming along the river-bank at this moment ah those tiresome people she said hughie what a bore everybody else is except you and me they got back to the hotel about sunset and as they passed into the hall the porter handed julia a telegram which had been waiting some couple of hours she gave a little exclamation of pleasure and surprise and turned to hugh come and have a turn in the garden hughie she said and then i must go down for the arrival of the boat when does it come in i should think it would be here immediately he said let's go down to the river even as he spoke the whistle of the approaching steamer was heard the girl hesitated a moment it's a shame to take up all your time in the way i'm doing she said you told me you had letters to write write them now then then you'll be free after dinner to-morrow will do he said i'll come down with you to the boat no you dear i forbid it she said oh do be good and write your letters i ask you to rather puzzled and vaguely uncomfortable hugh went into the hotel it was true that he had told her he had letters that should have been written a week ago but something at the back of his mind insisted that this was not the girl's real reason for wanting him to do his task now she wanted to go and meet the boat alone and on the moment an unfounded jealousy stirred like a coiled snake in him he told himself that it might be some inconvenient aunt whom she was going to meet but such a suggestion did not in the least satisfy him when he remembered the obvious pleasure with which she had read the telegram that no doubt announced this arrival but he nailed himself to his writing-table till a couple of very tepid letters were finished and then with growing restlessness went out through the hall into the warm still night most of the hotel had gone indoors to dress for dinner but sitting on the veranda with her back to him 
was julia a chair was drawn in front of her and facing her was a young man on whose face the light shone he was looking eagerly at her and his hand rested on her knee hugh turned abruptly and went back into the hotel he and julia for these last three days had with two other friends made a very pleasant party of four at lunch and dinner to-night when he entered the dining-room he found that places were laid here for three only and that at a far distant table in the window were sitting julia and the young man whom he had seen with her on the veranda his identity was casually disclosed as dinner went on one of his companions had seen lord patterson in cairo hugh had only a wandering ear for table-talk but a quick glancing eye ever growing more sombre for those in the window and his heavy face as he noted the tokens and signs of their intimacy grew sullen and savage then before dinner was over they rose and passed out into the garden jealousy can no more bear to lose sight of those to whom it owes its miseries than love can bear to be parted from the object of its adoration and presently hugh and his two friends went and sat as was usual with them on the veranda outside here and there about the garden were wandering couples and in the light of the full moon which was to be their lamp at karnak to-night when the tiresome people had gone he soon identified julia and lord patterson they passed and repassed down a rose-embowered alley hidden sometimes behind bushes and then appearing again for a few paces and each sight of them each vanishing of them again served but to confirm that which already needed no confirmation and as his jealousy grew every moment more bitter so every moment hugh grew more and more dangerously enraged apparently lord patterson was not one of the tiresome people whom julia longed to get away from presently his two companions left him for they were starting now to ride out to karnak and hugh sat on smoking and throwing away half consumed an endless series of cigarettes he had ordered that his two horses one with a side saddle should be ready at ten and at ten he meant to go to the girl and remind her of her engagement till then he would wait here wait and watch if the veranda had been on fire he felt he could not have left it to seek safety in some place where he was unable to see the bushy path where the two strolled then they emerged from that on to the broader walk that led straight to where he was sitting and after a few whispered words lord patterson left her there and came quickly towards the hotel he passed close by hugh gave him so hugh thought a glance of amused derision and went into the hotel julia came quickly towards him when lord patterson had gone oh hughie she said will you be a tremendous angel lord patterson yes he's just gone in such a dear you would delight in him lord patterson's only here for one night and he's dying to see karnak by moonlight so will you lend us your horses he absolutely insists i should go out there with him 
the amazing effrontery of this took hugh's breath away and in that moment's pause his rage flamed within him i thought you were going out with me he said i was but well you see she made the penitent mouth again which had seemed so enchanting to him this afternoon oh hughie don't you understand she said hugh got up feeling himself to be one shaking black jelly of wounded anger i'm not sure i do he said but no doubt i soon shall anyhow i want to ask you something i want you to promise to marry me she opened her great childlike eyes to their widest then they closed into mere slits again as she broke out into a laugh marry you she said you silly darling fellow that is a good joke suddenly from the garden there sounded the jubilant scamper of running feet and next moment a great grey ape sprang on to the veranda beside them and looked eagerly with keen dog's eyes at hugh as if intent on obeying some yet unspoken command julia gave a little shriek of fright and clung to him oh that horrible animal she cried hughie take care of me some sudden ray of illumination came to hugh all the extraordinary fantastic things that rankin had said to him became sober and real and simultaneously the girl's clinging fingers on his arm became like the touch of some poisonous praying thing snake coil or suckers of an octopus or hooked wings of a vampire bat something within him still shook and trembled like a quicksand but his conscious mind was quite clear and collected go away he said to the ape and pointed into the garden and it scampered off still gleefully spurning and kicking the soft sandy path then he quietly turned to the girl there it's gone he said it was just some tame thing escaped i saw it or one like it the other day on the end of a string as for the horses i shall be delighted to let you and lord patterson have them it is ten now they will be round the girl had quite recovered from her fright ah hughie you are a dear she said and you do understand yes perfectly said he julia went to dress herself for riding and presently hugh saw them off from the gate with courteous wishes for a pleasant ride then he went back to his bedroom and opened the little box where he kept his scarabs an hour later he was walking out alone on the road to karnak and in his pocket was the image of tahumet he had formed no clear idea of what he was meaning to do the immediate reason for his expedition was that once again he could not bear to lose sight of julia and her companion the moon was high the feathery outline of palm groves was clearly and delicately etched on the dark velvet of the heavens and stars sat among their branches like specks of golden fruit the caressing scent of bean-flowers was wafted over the road and often he had to stand aside to let pass a group of noisy tourists mounted on white donkeys coming riotously home from the showpiece of karnak by moonlight 
then striking off the road he passed beside the horseshoe lake in the depths of whose black waters the stars burned unwaveringly and by the entrance of the ruined temple of mut and then with a stab of jealousy that screamed for its revenge he saw tied up to a pillar just within his own horses so they were here he gave the beasts a wide berth lest recognizing him they should whinny and perhaps betray his presence and creeping in the shadow of the walls behind the row of great cat-headed statues he stole into the inner court of the temple here for the first time he caught sight of the two at the far end of the enclosure and as they turned white-faced in the moonlight he saw patterson kiss the girl and they stood there with neck and arms interlaced then they began walking towards him again and he stepped into a dark chamber on his right to avoid meeting them it had that strange stale animal odour about it that hangs in egyptian temples and with a thrill of glee he saw by a ray of moonlight that streamed in through the door that by chance he had stepped into the shrine round which sit the dog-faced apes whose secret name he knew and whose controlling spell lay in his breast-pocket often he had felt the underworld horror that dwelt here as a thing petrified and corpse-like to-night it was petrified no longer for the images seemed tense and quivering with the life that at any moment he could put into them their faces leered and hated and lusted and all that demoniac power which seemed to be flowing into him from them was his to use as he wished rankin's fantastic tales were bursting with reality he knew with the certainty with which the night watcher waits for the day that the lordship of the spirit of apes incarnate and discarnate would descend on him as on some anointed king the moment he thrice pronounced the secret name he was going to do it too he knew also that all he hesitated for now was to determine what orders their lord should give it seemed that the image in his breast-pocket was aware, for it throbbed and vibrated against his chest like a boiling kettle. He could not make up his mind what to do, but fed as with fuel by jealousy and love and hate and revenge, his sense of the magical control he wielded could be resisted no longer, but boiled over, and he drew from his pocket the image where was engraven the secret name tahumet 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 he shouted aloud there was a moment's absolute stillness then came a wild scream of fright from his horses and he heard them gallop off madly into the night slowly like a lamp turned down and then finally turned out the blaze of the moon faded into utter darkness and in that darkness which whispered with a gradually increasing noise of scratchings and scamperings he felt that the walls of the narrow chamber where he stood were as in a dream going farther and farther away from him until though still the darkness was impenetrable he knew that he was standing in some immense space 
one wall he fancied was still near him close behind him but the space which was full of he knew not what unseen presences extended away and away to both sides of him and in front of him then he was aware that he was not standing but sitting for beneath his hands he could feel the arms as of some throne of which the seat's edge pressed him just below his knees the animal odour he had noticed before increased enormously in pungency and he sniffed it in ecstatically as if it had been the scent of bean-fields and mixed with it was the sweetness of incense and the savour as of roast meat and at that the withdrawn light began to glow once more only now it was not the whiteness of the moon but a redder glow as of flames that aspired and sank again he saw where he was now he was seated on a chair of pink granite and a little in front of him was a huge altar on which limbs smoked overhead was a low roof supported at intervals by painted pillars and the whole of the vast floor was full of great grey apes squatting in dense rows sometimes they all bowed their heads to the ground sometimes as by a signal they raised them again and myriads of obscene expectant eyes faced him they glowed from within as cat's eyes glow in the dusk but with an infinity of hellish power all that power was his to command and he gloried in it bring them in he said and no more indeed he was not sure if he said it it was just his thought but as if he spoke the soundless language of animals they understood and they clambered and leaped over each other to do his bidding then a huddled wave of them surged up in front of where he sat and as it broke in foam of evil eyes and paws and switching tails it disclosed the two whom he had ordered to be brought before him and what shall i do with them he asked himself cudgelling his monkey brain for some infamous invention kiss each other he said at length in order to inflame the brutality of his jealousy further and he laughed chatteringly as their white trembling lips met he felt that all remnants of humanity were draining from him there was but a little left in his whole nature that could be deemed to belong to a man a hundred awful schemes ran about through his brain as sparks of fire run through the charred ashes of burnt paper and then julia turned her face towards him in the hideous entry that she had made in that wave of apes her hair had fallen down and streamed over her shoulders and at that the sight of a woman's hair unbound the remnant of his manhood all that was not submerged in the foulness of his supreme apehood made one tremendous appeal to him like some final convulsion of the dying and at the bidding of that impulse his hands came together and snapped the image in two something screamed the whole temple yelled with it and mixed with it was a roaring in his ears as of great waters or hurricane winds he stamped on the broken image grinding it to powder below his heel and felt the ground and the temple walls rocking round him 
then he heard someone not far off speaking in human voice again and no music could be so sweet let's get out of the place darling it said that was an earthquake and the horses have bolted he heard running steps outside which gradually grew fainter the moon shone whitely into the little chamber with the grotesque stone apes and at his feet was the powdered blue glaze and baked white clay of the image he had ground to dust end of section ten